Amen. Good morning, church family. Always a blessing to be able to share with you. And once again, want to wish all the dads out there a happy Father's Day. I don't often repeat messages. I probably have preached uh, well over 600 sermons at this point, and there's probably three or four messages in my life that I've repeated. And uh, this isn't the same message, but it's a, it's a version. It's the same theme of a message I've preached before. And I think though it's particularly geared toward the dads, it's particularly geared toward men, I think it applies to every single one of us. Might go two weeks. I think in the, in the first uh, service, I, I split it in half, so it'll likely go two weeks because I want us to really dig deeply in here. And, and as I mentioned, every time I preach, the message always hits me first, right? This isn't me preaching to all of you. This is God's word preaching to each one of us, amen? amen. And so I, I you know, I, I receive this. I, you know, I wrestle with the scriptures. I'm convicted. And then I'm encouraged because we're convicted not to just leave us feeling bad, but to motivate us toward change, right? God breaks us to fix us. Right? He breaks us to heal us. And so we know here at Christian Fellowship Center, God is moving, right? Amen, church. Amen. He's doing amazing things, and I've sat and reflected just over and over again with gratitude. And, and, and I mentioned, you know, in the first service that oftentimes there are, you know, faithful men of God who preach week after week and who pour their heart out and who love Jesus and don't see the fruit of their ministry. But they do it. They press on. And we are so grateful here, the pastors, to continue to see the fruit, to hear testimony. I was away in Vermont. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And, and my phone rang, and, and I answered the phone. And it was, a, it was a, a woman that comes to church here, and she said, I just want to tell you how much I love you and how God's using you to speak life into me through your messages and, and how good God is and how excited I am to be part of this church family. And I mean, that is, that is a great blessing. See, Jamie and I have both said time and time again, the worst thing that we can do is play church. The worst thing that we can do is come here and pretend, right? To have our focus on making the masks we wear look nicer and fancier. On the outside and on the surface, everything looks great, right? And our social media and our Facebook is filled with smiles and happiness. But our marriages may be crumbling and our kids may be struggling. We may be a paycheck away from disaster. Things might look okay on the outside, but on the inside, we're hurting. You ever, you ever talk to somebody and, and you can just tell they're like a moment away from just breaking down. They just have this burden. You know, guys would come into Teen Challenge and they'd look pretty rough and, and, and pretty beat up. And, and, you know, the girls in, in Providence, same thing. And, and then, you know, after a little while, you eat good. You put on a few pounds. Some of us put on a little bit too many pounds, but you put on a few pounds. I had a friend that used to say, I'm twice the man I used to be. I can, I can relate to that. <laughs> but, you know, the guys would start and girls would start to look good. They'd get a haircut and their family would come to visit them. You know, I hadn't seen them for a month and they went from looking like they were, you know, homeless to, you know, now they're all nice. And I'd always have to say, I know that they look good on the outside, but God's just beginning the work on the inside. Because, you know, manipulators would be like, oh, I'm ready to go. And the parents would be like, well, they look healthy and they look good. And it's like, no. And so we can do that, right? We can, fix, we can focus so much on making the outside look good. And, and, and sometimes we can do that by accumulating more and more, thinking that that's going to maybe make us happier. But we look around and we live in a society filled with uncertainty and anxiety, trying to find its identity in all the right things, leading to all kinds of addictions, not just chemical addictions, materialism, sex addiction, you name it. Just trying to find a way to feel better for the moment and exchanging lasting joy and peace in that exchange. And if our identity is not found in Christ, we will spend our entire lives trying to find it in something else. The song we just sang says, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. 
That is his identity. He's a good father who wants to bestow extravagant love on his children. That's who he is. And our identity, your identity, I'm loved by him. That's who I am. That's who we are. And so the title of the message is Remove the Mask. Remove the Mask. And we can only remove the mask. We can only begin that process together if we understand who Christ is and who we are as a result, our identity in Jesus. Because if we focus on anything else for our identity, it will leave us insecure. It'll never be enough. It'll never feel good enough. And we will be restless and insecure for our whole lives. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we pray and begin, why don't you take a moment and greet somebody near you. Father, we're here to receive from you. Lord, our prayer is that we don't leave here the same way we came in, but that you change us from the inside out. You change our hearts. That you allow us to find our identity in Christ, not in the things that we find it in. And so, Lord, would you just have your way? Would you open our hearts? We believe, help our unbelief. Increase our faith. Help us to give you full access, to trust you fully. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, the pastors were away uh, for a few days in Vermont along with Gary White, my father-in-law, and it was beautiful, and we were able to take some time and, and to pray and to play and to refresh, to jump off some cliffs and to do some reading and praying together. We were able to, to be real. And I love these guys like brothers, I really do. I mean, Gary White's my father-in-law, and with the exception of my wife and kids, I spend more time with him than anybody. So when you guys are like, I pray for you, Pastor Brian, pray for him, because he's going he's gonna to deal with me. Um, fruit testing is my ministry, too, so I'm just trying to help him. Be, if you see how mature he is, that's why, because he has to deal with, with me. But we spend some time together, and Jamie and I have been friends for like 33 years I, I lose track sometimes. It's like almost like an anniversary. How long have you been? Like, we're, we're kids. I mean, little kids, right? Going back. And Sam and Willie, you guys know Sam and Willie are great, and we're, we're all getting to know each other better. But you know when you spend a lot of time with somebody, especially driving in a car for hours, or, you know, a, a lot of time just together, nonstop, those little things that are kind of, you know, peculiar little habits, or, you know, people have their little quirks, and it's kind of endearing maybe at nights, and then, you know, maybe it's slightly annoying sometimes, but, and then after a while, you start to really focus on that. <laughs> Does that ever happen to anybody here? I don't know. Like, for example, somebody's like, I only use plastic, I won't use plastic utensils, they have to be real. Or somebody's like, you know, I can't be the passenger in the car, I always have to be the one driving, I don't like to be a passenger. I always get to pick the music, I can't, nobody else can pick the music, I need to pick the music. Or, or somebody's like complaining, you know, especially in Vermont, you get a coffee and they got those like cardboard straws, no, I can't use those, I need a real straw. Or like maybe somebody's like, I don't care how far the way it is, we have to find a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> like annoying things like that. I don't know if you connect the dots here, but I'm that guy. I am guilty as charged on all counts. Forgot a few things. <laughs> Maybe. That's grace. It's annoying stuff, right? But those straws, am I right? I mean, they dissolve in your mouth. Like, I'll never buy a coffee again if they have paper straws anyway. True story. But we had fun, and we don't get the wrong impression. I'm a little high maintenance. I, I blame my mother for spoiling me. But no, actually, these guys are super gracious with me, right? And I won't even get into their super annoying habits. But what's my point in all this? When you get to know people, when you love them so much, you overlook the little stuff. And they overlook your little stuff. Sometimes in relationships, there's conflict, Right? Sometimes you feel a little uncomfortable. 
Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you have to say things you don't want to say or hear things you don't want to hear. Like, let's hike for six hours. We should listen to country music. Why don't you try a bite of this? You'll like it. Bad advice like that, right? But something happens when we get real with each other, doesn't it? When, like Paul says, we can share our joys and we can share our struggles. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We're happy when people are happy and we're sad when they're, when they're sad. Our friendships are such that when somebody we love is going through stuff, it affects us. And sometimes I know people like, I don't know what to say. What if I say? What if I do the wrong thing? You know that 99 out of 100 times, you know, all we got to do is just show up. Just be like, man, I, I don't know what this is like. I can't imagine. I, I don't pretend to know why this is happening. But I just want you to know I'm not going anywhere. I'm going walk to walk this out with you. See, these guys, I know that I can count on them no matter what, that they're never going to abandon me. And it's the same with me and them. And those are the kind of relationships we're called to have. You overlook people's bad taste in music, for example. Yes, we do. <laughs> it means that when something's bothering somebody we care about, it bothers us. It means that we say, man, can, can, I, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Because you're in this together. Somebody just said, you know, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so glad when I'm here, I, I, real, I realize I'm not alone. Because the enemy wants to isolate us. The enemy wants us to feel like whatever we're going through, we're going through it alone. But if you're here at church, you're not alone. My signs are finally up. As you, as you leave, you'll see them. Now go be the church. There were a couple of the girls running around. And, and I said, you see those signs? They said, yeah. I said, what's the church? Is it, is it the building? I said, yeah. I said, you know what else it is? You're the church. And you're the church. It's us. It's the people. We're not alone. We have each other. And so I want to look at relationships. As we talk about remove the mask, we have to begin with our relationship with God. That's where identity, our identity can be found. And we can recover that identity through Christ. We can take off the mask and we can have real friends and we can be a real friend. It begins with looking at ourselves. We talked about allowing God to change us from the inside out. All of us created in his image. And sin tarnishing that image. So Christ came that when we put our trust in him, that we give him our heart, that we submit to him continually every part of our lives, that we will find rest and peace and joy and purpose and meaning. No matter what what is happening in our lives, in our world, no matter what is happening around us, we can have peace. You know, I've said before that given 99% to God, that 1% will either distract you or destroy you. That 1% is where your idolatry is. That 1% that you're holding on to is where the enemy's got you. You know, I had, we were, on the, we were literally on the mountaintop, right? We are in Vermont on a mountain. And we came back and reality hits, right? I had a bad day, I said. I don't know about anybody else. I had a rough day. You know, I don't know. In marriages, sometimes, you know, the enemy gets in and, and you hear things that aren't said, right? Like, whenever I do any marriage counseling, I'm like, you got to learn to put Jesus first and communicate. That's all of marriage counseling. You spend your whole life figuring out how to do it, but you got to put Jesus first and learn how to communicate, and that, that's enough. Everything else is, is in that. Because we can't. We hear things that aren't there, and, you know, our, and our insecurities come up, right? Because we, we, we lack identity. In Christ, we forget about who we are in him. See, I know that many of us are burdened, church. I know that many of us are, are, are just holding on, are, are going through some difficult times. It's, it's a, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on around us. Life is tough, but it's so much tougher alone, isn't it? And I think when we're tired, when we're weary, a big source of that weariness is trying to pretend we get it all together when we're a moment away from falling apart. And so we come to church, we put on our church mask. But don't do that. Don't do that. It's the worst thing we can do is to play church. Trying to pretend you're okay when you're hurting, feeling like you're all alone in your situations and struggles. 
feeling like you're missing real relationships. You know, there's being alone and then there's feeling lonely in a crowd. Much worse, profoundly much worse to feel alone in a crowd. To feel like you can't, if, if, if everybody only knew who I really was, they couldn't possibly love me. See, I've preached before, God designed us to exist together, right? Life together, life on mission. So before we can remove the mask, we must identify the problem. And then we get to find the solution, then we implement it to be healed and to learn and grow and mature together here in authentic, Christ-centered community. And Jesus knows we're tired. And he knows that for many of us, the very people, the religious people in our lives, the ones that were supposed to guide us and protect us and, and, and support us and encourage us, beat us up. Because I hear time and again from people whose experiences in church were unhealthy to say the least. And people say to me all the time, you know, I have a problem with religious people. I have a problem with Christians. And I'm like, Jesus did too. Jesus had a problem with religious people, the people who knew the right thing up here but didn't live it out right here, the hypocrites. And I tell people all the time, and you've heard me say it before, at my church it's kind of cool. We don't follow each other. We follow Jesus. We can talk about him, but that's who we follow. That's who we worship. And we're a mess, but we're a beautiful mess. We're a family. And we do it together, and we don't give up. See, this is a familiar scripture. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to read the message transliteration, but the the more familiar. And Jesus is talking to all of us when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You're tired, and you're burdened, and you're beat up, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few months ago, I was at a a conference with the pastors. There were maybe 40 leaders in the room. And the person who was speaking read that scripture. And he said, why is it that when we read that, nobody in this room thinks it applies to us? It wrecked me because I didn't, I didn't recognize that it's subtle. I know it. I know it's true, but somehow life becomes a burden. Ministry becomes a burden, and you forget that this is Jesus' invitation isn't because we deserve it. It's because of who he is. And so we forget to find the source of rest, deep rest. And we try to find it in everything else and in everyone else when Jesus is saying, come to me if you're weary. See, I love, and it seems like every week we, we mention this because, you know, we can be encouraged by other people's testimony. We can be encouraged by, by hearing what's happening in other people's lives. And we preach on, you know, Hebrews and the hearers of the faith, but it's taste and see that the Lord is good. Have your own experience with Jesus. You can't find my rest. But in him, you can find the rest you need. This is the message transliteration of that. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to really rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, and I love this phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Francis Chan was speaking once, and he said, we got to stop asking people to invite Jesus into their lives. Jesus doesn't want to be invited into our lives. Our lives are a mess. Jesus invites us into his life. Jesus invites us into his way of living, that we come to him with our weariness, and that he invades us. So this morning we're going to look at the first step toward allowing God to change us, removing the mask. Stop pretending we are okay when we are not okay. And that begins with recognizing our need of Christ. Because we, if we haven't placed our trust in him, 
then we're just trying to do it on our own. It's called moral therapeutic deism. We look at this God who's you know, out there, but he doesn't really have a relationship with us, and religion simply a way for us to be better versions of ourselves. That is not the gospel at all. The gospel is not for us to be better versions of ourselves. It's for dead men to become alive and blind men to be see and enslaved men to be free. It's to be entirely new creations. Jesus didn't come so we can just be slightly better. He came to give us life, our journey to wholeness and abundant life. Like he talks about in John 10.10, 10, the thief, thief wants to kill and steal and destroy. And Jesus says, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. The abundant life is not available outside of a relationship with Christ. And so our relationship begins when we recognize the need of a Savior, each one of us. John Newton, the famous slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace toward the end of his life, he said, I only remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. It has to begin there. So I don't know if you've ever heard the Roman road. It's just a, it's just a nice way to express Paul and Romans, the gospel, Paul's presentation of the gospel. Uh, we have the, the tracks that we pass out, and, uh, and Bernice has uh, laminated them, and every so often she'll give the pastors laminated copies to pass out. But it clearly answers these five questions that we must all answer. Who needs salvation? Why do we need salvation? How does God provide salvation? How do we receive salvation? And then what are the results of that salvation? And so because it's so critical that we understand this, and because so many people, maybe you're here because you're a dad and you're invited or, or whatever, this is the, every week I meet new people. And so I'm not going to assume anything. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life, but you've never repented and put your trust in him. A lot of people hang out in church. Romans Road begins with the truth that everybody needs salvation because we've all sinned. Before I knew anything theologically, one thing that resonated absolutely true with me, and we're going to get into the root cause of it in Genesis 3, but I knew that there is something wrong with me. I knew that before I knew anything else, that there's just, there's just something deep, and so there's just, I'm sure my wife can, she'll testify to that. But there's just something wrong. There's something broken. And so when theologically I understood that I was born under the curse, that I'm addicted to sin, that, I'm, that I'm a, I have a longing that nothing will fulfill, and I'm, and I'm enslaved by my own desires. Like Paul says, I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the right And there's this like battle within me. And I recognize what's good is good. I see that. And so... so before you understand theologically where that comes from, we recognize as human beings, whether you say you're an atheist, whether you say you're agnostic, deep down inside, you know something's missing, something's broken, something's a little off. And so Paul begins with every, everyone is guilty before God. We all fall short. And Romans 3 says all people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, whether they're a part of God's covenant people, whether they're outside of that. Everyone are under the power of sin. There's a, there's a power, there's something at work that, you know, and I've said this before, little kids, you don't have to teach kids to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. You ever think of that? Little angels, as cute as they are, what do they do? They go up to another kid, slap them in the face. Grab it. Kids got two toys. You think by default they go, look, there's two of us. We got two toys. Let me share. No, they go, mine. Because our default is wrong. We have to learn to be good. We don't have to learn to be bad. The scriptures say no one is righteous, not even one. No one is wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Paul's saying, look, we're all in the same boat. We all have to recognize our need of a Savior. We're not going to find our identity in, in, in Christ if we think we can find our identity in our accomplishments. And then Paul says, there's a price that has to be paid because God is perfect and just. 
It's part of his nature. He's gracious and merciful and forgiving, but he's perfect and just and he's holy. And so there's a price to be paid, and that price is both physical and spiritual death, a separation from God. And so we are all in need of salvation. That's the condition we find ourselves in. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. Which means, like I say week after week, you're here and your past isn't going get to get in the way of you being who God wants you to be, but your pride is. That's it. That's the only reason. If you leave here and you're still stuck in your sin and you walk out of here unforgiven, it's not because God won't forgive you. It's because you're too stubborn to repent. It's not because of anything you've done yesterday. It's because what you might not do today and say, Lord, forgive me. I need you. Our pride. It's a mask. Jesus died for our sins. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. His death paid the price. And Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were sinners. Means he didn't look around and go, You, you're worth it. No, you, you, I've been watching you. You're pretty good. You're worth it. No, he said, You're all a mess, and I love you in your mess, but I love you so much, I don't want to leave you in your mess. We receive salvation and eternal life through faith in Christ. Bible says anyone who places their trust in Jesus receives that promise. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess to your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's, that's not it. There's not a period there. I, I've said a lot of things in my life. I say things all the time. Some of them I mean, some of them I don't, some of them I half mean. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, a lot of people that confess with their mouth, and those are the people I think that Jesus, they're going to say, Jesus, I did this in your name. Jesus, Jesus, I listened to the right music, and I, and I went to the right concerts, and I had the right T-shirt, and I, you know, I, told, I said the name of Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus, and he's going to be like, but I didn't know you. You weren't in love with me. You know, you read these deconversion stories, and, you know, a deconversion story is like, you know, somebody, you know, books, they write books about you lose your faith. And it's, it's almost like the idea is that they've somehow progressed toward this, you know, I don't know what, toward nothingness. But, and so you don't, it's probably 100 to 1 conversion stories, but those don't sell books. And so you have these deconversion stories of people who suddenly, you know, matured enough. And, and it's always like basic stuff that I don't understand. Like, like, well, I just recognized that there was evil in the world. Like, at what point? Like, I mean, you Came to that observation after 20 years as a Christian. But the, in, in the deconversion stories, it's always, I read through them, and I'm, it's always the same thing. It's always, I thought this, and then I was enlightened. I began to think this. And in every story, I always go, were you ever in love with Jesus, though? Because this is a story about your mind changed and you thought differently, but it's not really a story about falling out of love because I don't think you were ever in love with him. Because that's what Christianity is. It's not just mental assent to a set of facts. It's falling in love and deeper in love with the one who gave himself for you. To give you a new identity. To set you free. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That means salvation comes through our faith in Christ, and that gives us the peace. You know, John Piper likes to say, grace is not just pardon when we've sinned, it's power not to. It enables us to live a different way. We get a new identity, and the mask can be taken off. When we receive salvation, we know that there'll be no condemnation. Since we've been, Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we can have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. In other words, we don't have to have that brokenness, that identity. We're going to go deeper with that. Romans 8.1, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not a little bit. You don't have some sins that were forgiven, but those really bad ones, he's still, he's still working on forgiving you of those. Maybe you haven't forgiven yourself, but he doesn't see him. And then I love this. 
Romans 8, 38 through 39. And I am convinced that nothing, there's no asterisk, there's no fine print, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life, no angels, no demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. So this morning, I just want to take a moment and, and pray. I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give all of us that opportunity to repent again and to say, Lord, I need you. I want to cling to you. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would have your way. I don't have any power. There's nothing I can do, but your word, your spirit, God, convict us. Father, encourage us. Challenge us. Help us, God, to surrender. To give up that 1% we've been holding on to. Help each one, maybe for the first time, to recognize I'm a sinner. There's something wrong. I long for a relationship with my father. Like Willie said, maybe, maybe you didn't have a father. Maybe your father was imperfect, but we can all have a relationship with our perfect heavenly father who loves us. So help us to be like children in humility and dependence. We come to you, Father, and we ask for your forgiveness, and we welcome your embrace. In Jesus' name I pray. So you've heard us say before that the process of discipleship can be summed up like this, right? We need to first focus upward to the Lord, to his word, then be changed inward by his, his power, by the spirit, and then we're motivated to live that out outward. So if you've bought a sweatshirt or a t-shirt from us and you don't know those nice little arrows in the back, you're like, what, what are those? Those are there. So when people say, hey, what are the arrows in the back of your sweatshirt? You can be like, oh, well, the first one means we focus upward to God and his word. And he changes our heart inward through his spirit. And then it changes how we live outward. Upward, inward, and outward. We're going to take a closer look at the upward today. Because the removing the mask doesn't happen unless we become secure in our identity in Christ. And only then can we try to begin really trusting people and trust this building community. That's why these groups are so important, because we need each other to live this out. So this morning, I want to talk about removing the mask, because I think many people in the church, we tend to wear one of two masks, right? One comes from shame, and the other comes from pride. And they're both not of God, and they will both rob you of the life God wants for you. The shame mask is worn because we're afraid, and we're going to look at that. Because we're afraid. If they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't want to spend time with me. And the other one is pride, and pride is just, I'll tell you what pride is, ready? Pride is just overcompensation for being insecure. That's what pride is. If somebody's overtly prideful, it's because deep down inside they're trying to find their identity in something that they can't find their identity in. And so they want to tell you how much they have or you know, who they know or what they've accomplished. And, and they keep doing that with the hopes that they can find an identity, but they never will. And that's incredibly frustrating. And so the insecurity gets deeper and deeper, and the pride becomes more manifest, but it's just insecurity. In fact, we all suffer from pride. Pride is the root of all sin, because it's saying, I know better than you do, Lord. That's what pride is. God hates pride, the Bible says. And so when people are overtly prideful, again, they're just insecure. It's the same root problem, just two external manifestations, feeling shame, We've lost our identity. And so some people try to find it in accomplishments with a resume. Others try to find it in religion and external stuff they show everyone they do for God. 
Like all, all that church stuff that, that I showed up to this and I gave to that and Jesus is going, but, but do you love me? I know you say you do, but do you love me? We've said before, if you want to look at priorities in people's lives, look at their checkbook and their calendar. It's like, ooh, not what they say. I love this, I love that. Oh, wait, you only have a limited amount of resources and limited amount of time. It's not God needs your money. That's not the principle there. The principle is what are you doing with the time and the resources you've been given? Where are they all going? Where are our priorities? What do we really love? And any identity that doesn't come from Christ that isn't based on the image of God in us is a stolen identity. And we're wearing a mask. And the worst thing we can do is turn what Jesus died into, died for, into a ritual or a habit. To come week after week with no change of heart. All information, no transformation. Go on about our day-to-day lives, and nobody would ever know that we are followers of Jesus. You ever hear that quote? If you were convicted, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? People say, what religion are you? I don't even want to answer that question. I don't even want to say Christian because it doesn't even mean, say I'm a follower of Jesus because that indicates I'm following. It's messy. I'm a mess. Sometimes I can barely follow. Sometimes I stop going. I start going the wrong way and I have to turn around and forget. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to follow. And I got people around me that help me follow. I got brothers around me that lift me up when I'm, when I'm on my mat and they say, we got to get you to Jesus and they carry me. That's what relationship looks like. Every weekend all over the world, people show up to church on Sunday with their church mask on, trying to make everybody think that we got it together. Just like the Pharisees, trying to make everybody think we're more spiritual and more holy when we really are. See, during the time of Christ, the Pharisees were some of the most well-respected religious leaders. They knew the right thing up here. They just were hardened right here. They somehow lost their way, and they forgot it was never about them. It was about him. It was about everybody else. See, Jesus could see through the mask the Pharisees were wearing. He sees through our masks. Luke eleven thirty nine. Jesus says, you Pharisees clean the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, church. It doesn't mean that we're, our greed goes away or our sin goes It means that when we take the mask off and we be real, we allow Jesus to do what we can't. Amen? Becoming a Christian involves having a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36, 26, it's a promise to Israel, to God's people also, to us through Christ today. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a promise to each one of us. I know you're wounded. I know you're trying to preserve self. I know you feel insecurity. I know you feel shame and guilt and all that. I get all that. And he's saying, I want to I do something new. I want to breathe fresh life into you, a new spirit, new flesh. But you got to let me do it. you got to allow. you got to open yourself up. See, we begin to see people the way Jesus sees them. And our posture should be one of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done for us. And then our anger gets replaced with joy, our hate with love our bitterness with forgiveness. A lot of us say we love Jesus. We probably all say we love Jesus, but how do we talk about and what do we think about people who behave differently or look differently or vote differently or see the world differently than we do? How do we treat them? Because when when we're at war with people, it becomes awfully hard to love them. I'm not saying don't contend for truth and and faith. You can, you can be at war with ideas. Truth is by nature exclusive. If one thing's right, something else is wrong. But you're not at war with people. You're at war for them. 
I saw a quote once that said this, if you criticize people more than you pray for them, you may be doing life wrong. If you're a Christian and you criticize people more than you pray for them, you're doing life wrong. You know, whenever I, I get like even a little bit of a critical spirit, the Lord says, pretend that was you when you were 20 and see how much better they are than you were. Now don't talk. That's kind of the case. At this point, it doesn't even happen anymore because I just, it's like I just get that. All right, I get it. I'm not even going to go there. Lost. Nobody would have looked at me. I remember a guy, you know, in Teen Challenge, you got new guys come in all the time and you look and you can't help but go, he's not going to make it. He's going to make it. I remember a close friend of mine once, he was like, man, I saw you walk through that door, you had a black leather coat, you had a black Cowboy boots, you thought you were, you know, and I th- said, I took one look at you, and I said, that guy's not going to last. He's not going to make it. It wasn't me that made it. It was Jesus in me that made it. First John 4.20, Jesus says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Now, I've heard, I've heard people say, well, that was specifically toward, you know, brothers, believers. I know that. But if you don't think it applies to us, us see Jesus' discourse with the attorney who was asking, who is my neighbor? Because if anything, you can make the case it applies more toward others because we're supposed to be a testimony to them. That's the same question that the Pharisees asked. Well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to be nice to? And know what Jesus did? He found the least likely person. He found the person that culture said should be your enemy, that, that is least like you. And he said, that's the person that's your neighbor. That's who you ought to love. So I believe Jesus is saying, you can say you love God, but then if you hate the people around you, the love of God isn't in you. I'm not saying that to you. He is. We can, we, can, we can do church stuff. We can show up. Judas was around Jesus for three and a half years. He ate with him. He walked with him. He listened to him teach. He saw him heal people. He had a prominent leadership position among the apostles, yet he was not a believer. His heart had not been changed. He was not in love with Jesus. He was in love with Judas. He had all the apostles fooled. None of them suspected he would betray Jesus, but he did. Because we can imitate the characteristics and lifestyles of the Christians we know. We can know how to play the Christian game and know how to act, and we can memorize John 3.16. We can know all the answers to Bible trivia like the men did the other day at game night. Remember that? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of people who can name all 66 books of the Bible but who have never repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. So if you're pretending to be a believer and you're really not, you can either leave here, you know, pouty because maybe this message convicts you or you can take off your mask and allow God to do what he wants to do all along. Allow him to do in you the reason that you are here. To give you a new heart. Because God sees behind the mask. Hebrews 4.13, nothing And all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See what happens? God is patient and gracious, but if we don't take the mask off, eventually he will. Because he loves us, he will. If he allowed his son who was perfect to go to the cross for a greater good, you don't think he's going to allow us to go through some stuff that we can grow and mature? You've heard me say before, I have a pastor friend who likes to say, there's some people who have been Christians for 40 years, and there's some people who have just been Christians for a year, 40 times over. Keep coming. Keep doing the same stuff year after year. Nobody would ever know they were Christian. They're not growing and maturing. They look like everybody else around them. Something to be done on Sundays. You go to church on Sunday, you have brunch on Tuesday, heard hundreds of hours of sermons, and the mask has never come off. So removing the mask is something we do alone, and then it's something we do together. 
We each trust Christ, and then we enter into real relationships with those, those who love us enough to walk with us. To say, I know you got all kind of crazy stuff, Jamie, but I love you anyway. Will be real with us and we can be real with them. C.S. Lewis reflects on friendship in the fourth chapter of his book, The Four Loves. He observed in his own time that friendship is rare. True friendship is rare, he said. Few value it because few experience it. People just give up on the notion that somebody could love them. Sometimes because they think they're unlovable. But just because friendship is rare doesn't mean we can't experience it. I read somewhere once, you won't find a friend by wanting a friend. To have a friend, you have to be a friend. And Lewis reflected and he said, friendship starts that moment when you see somebody else and you hear them share and they say, oh, you too, I thought I was the only one. See, we can be real with each other. I had a a brother the other day came up to me and said, you know, Pastor Brian, you've, you've done a lot of things I want to thank you for, and I'm grateful, you know, in my life, God's used you. He said, there's one thing in particular I just really want to thank you for. And I said, okay. He said, well, before I met you, he goes, I'm a very, like, an emotional guy, but every time I, you know, kind of started to feel that emotion, I'd hold it in because I thought, you can't, you can't be like that. He goes, and then I see you, and I'm like, well, if he can cry all the time, I can too. If it's okay for him, maybe it's okay for me. There's a lot of things I've gotten wrong in my life. Crying because I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for the love of God that he has for me and others, that's not one of them. And so my brother, I don't, I don't know if he's here, but that's one thing we got right. See, we're going to read next week Genesis 3. I want, you to read, I want you to read through that. And we'll, we'll go through part two next week, but I, wa- I want to mention this. All good theology is found in Genesis 3. You can find the whole theme of the Bible from the beginning to the end in Genesis 3. But I want us to consider this, because when we talk about removing the mask, when we talk about our condition, we, we need to understand where that comes from. And so if I said, what happens when sin entered the picture, we would all rightly say, well, our relationship with God was severed. Sin, you know, severed that that relationship that we had with God, that peace and joy in him. That's true. And immediately the effect of that is, is several things happened. But the first thing that happened, I want you to notice, is that we felt shame. And so we hid. The first thing that happened when our relationship with God was severed is we recognized that there was something profoundly wrong with us, and so we hid. And if our identity is not in Christ, we are still hiding, and we still feel shame. And that shame is the source of our conflict. Immediately you see conflict with men and women. You see conflict with mankind, because what happens I know, you know, materialists, ethicists, people who are non-believers, they like to say, well, you know, everybody needs to find their own truth and everybody needs to find their own way and it's all equally valid. The problem with that is that you have a whole bunch of really insecure people trying to find their identity in something they're never going to find their identity in, which leads them to be frustrated, and then you have competing preferences. Because what if what I want and what if you want, what if that conflicts, then what? And so if our identity isn't in Christ, we all have our identity in all this stuff, and we have what we see, chaos. Because we're left with competing preferences. And all the materialists and all the ethicists in the world, they can't come up with that. They, they, you know, they'll, just, they'll just say, well, you know, you, you find your own truth, and you, know, you just try to... I talk to people, and they say, well, you know, well, the point of life is to be a good person. Whose idea of good? Whose idea of good? Mine, yours? It's illogical. I mean, I'm a Christian for for a whole bunch of reasons, and that, namely, Jesus captured my heart. But I will absolutely stand here and make the case to you that it is the most rational worldview just from an intellectual perspective. Because if not, play the tape. Figure it all out. I I tell people that are, you know, you have a little education. Keep going. Keep asking the right questions. They say, well, you know, people in the church, or, you know, people, you know, they're hypocrites, or, you know, there's a lot of bad in the world. Okay. Okay, but what? What does that prove? Things shouldn't be bad and people shouldn't be hypocrites. Why shouldn't they? I'll tell you why they shouldn't, because there's a God who came and said, if you just trust in me, you can take your mask off. 
but because we're so stubborn and prideful, we can't do it. And so my heart, my whole, my whole life, I tried to pretend I was somebody that I wasn't my whole life. I'm being the guy, the guy in the bar room, you know, the guy telling the jokes. I thought everybody loves me because they're laughing. I was entertainment at best. And there's somebody else doing that now. They didn't love me. I'm surrounded now by people that really love me. And I want you, worship team can come up. I want you to taste and see. I'm going to see Pastor Brian, you have a, you know, amazing testimony. Pastor Jamie, like, what God's done, I want you to taste and see. I want you to take your mask off. And then I want you to have relationships where when you try to put it back on, somebody who loves you goes, don't do that, man. I remember in my addiction and my mess, Gary Taylor is the founding pastor of South Coast Church, close friend of mine, and he said, you know what really aggravated me when you were a mess? is you robbed all of us of you. That who you really were in your best moments, who we recognize you could be, you'd rather wear a mask than be that guy, and nobody wants that. And so my prayer as we close is that you don't leave here, that not a single person leaves here with a mask still on. And so the altars are open. My prayer is that God is moving in your heart right now and that you would be bold enough to respond because I promise you, you will never, ever be the same.